Welcome everyone to episode six of Campus Pep Talk by IBA. Today we'll discuss the role of proton therapy for prostate cancer. In the past, it's been referred to as experimental, but is now shown to be incredibly advantageous, and we'll hear why from Dr. Andrew Lee, Medical Director of Texas Center for Proton Therapy. You know, we're seeing it more and more now where in patients with oligometastatic disease, it's important to control the primary or at least treat the primary. Um, you could hypofractionate that, but also address the oligometastatic sites. And one of the best ways to do that, frankly, is with proton therapy. A renowned oncology leader, innovator, and researcher, Dr. Andrew Lee serves as medical director of Texas Center for Proton Therapy. Prior to joining Texas Center for Proton Therapy in 2015, Dr. Lee served almost 14 years at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, where he pioneered many firsts in the field of proton therapy. He launched proton therapy treatment at MD Anderson Cancer Center and treated the facility's first proton therapy patient in 2006. He served as the first and founding director of the Program for Advanced Technology and also as the medical director of the MD Anderson Proton Therapy Center. Dr. Lee was the first physician to treat patients with spot scanning proton therapy in North America, commonly known as pencil beam scanning, which enables greater conformality in tumor treatments compared to traditional proton beam therapy. Dr. Lee has been consistently named to the U.S. News and World Report list of best doctors in America and was recognized at MD Anderson in 2014 as the first and only radiation oncologist to receive the prestigious University Cancer Foundation Faculty Achievement Award in Patient Care, which is awarded to the faculty member who exemplifies excellence in patient care. He has co-authored more than 100 peer-reviewed articles, abstracts, and book chapters on his research in the areas of prostate cancer and proton therapy, and is internationally recognized as a leader in proton therapy for prostate cancer. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Lee, and excellent song choice. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about the different types of indications or cases that you typically treat? So literally anything that you might consider uh, head to toe, uh, we treat. Um, that includes not only CNS tumors, but uh, head and neck cancers, lung cancers, breast cancer, you know, upper GI, um, a lot of pediatrics. Um, in fact, we're probably one of the, um, probably the major provider for pediatric radiation oncology care within the DFW area. And then, you know, and then my specialty is genitourinary cancer. So uh, that means we're, we're seeing a lot of prostate cancer as well. Let's talk a little bit more about that, um, about prostate cancer. So some have viewed proton therapy for prostate as being quote unquote experimental due to lack of evidence to support the benefits when compared to traditional radiotherapy. Um, but of course there's been mounting evidence to say that that's not the case and that it is quite effective. So could you explain a little bit more about, um, first of all, what insurance companies mean when they say experimental and then also a bit about your stance on proton for prostate? Yeah, certainly. Um... As far as, in terms of the efficacy of proton therapy in the treatment of any malignancy, prostate cancer included, I don't think that's ever been questioned. Um, I mean, certainly proton therapy has been an FDA approved form of therapy for many decades. And, you know, classically we think about experimental as something that's not tested or that is being studied because we're not sure that if it's gonna work well or not. And that's really not the case with proton therapy. 
um, where the pairs have come in is they've kind of modified their definition of experimental to not only include what I what I just described, but if if they feel that it's not as good as an already established treatment, then they would then then they call it experimental. And so then you get into kind of murky waters regarding what what the definition of is as good or better. And heretofore, what they've been relying on is a couple things. Number one, uh, quite old data that is using what I would consider suboptimal uh, databases, uh, namely claims-based data. So it's not really looking at actual clinical experiences. Uh, they're not even retrospective. Um, they're just claims-based. And so it's trying to you know, read a license plate from you know, 10,000 feet up in the air. I mean, if you have the right technology, maybe you can do it, but in general, it's probably not the most accurate way to do it. Um, but they've been able to leverage those older studies um, that use, you know, suboptimal sources of data. And frankly, technology that's probably not relevant in the modern era uh, regarding proton therapy to hold on to that, to those claims. Because obviously for them, there's a fiscal incentive not to reimburse proton therapy. Um, which is unfortunate because I think it, it kind of has leaked into a lot of other disease sites. Um, what we've been trying to do is, um, you know, not only educate payers over the last, you know, several decades regarding, you know, why proton therapy is beneficial for a lot of disease sites, including prostate cancer, um, but also sh generating data that is more robust uh, to, to basically illustrate that. Um, unfortunately, what's happened in a lot of cases is, I'll be upfront, the payers have just said, well, we recognize that proton therapy may in fact be better in some circumstances, including prostate cancer. Um, but for us, it's just not better enough. And um, so that's their perspective. From a patient perspective, it might be quite different. Uh, there may be some opportunities to change that going forward as um, you know, with a higher utilization of hypofractionated regimens, where it's a fewer total number of treatments, and therefore the cost differential between uh, IMRT versus proton therapy would be uh, would be a lot smaller. And what are some of those benefits of using proton therapy for prostate? Yeah, so for just a generic intact prostate, I do think in my experience, and I think the data would bear that out, if you actually look at um, comparisons, post hoc comparisons of prospective data sets. One in particular, I, it was at least public, presented in abstract form. I, I don't know if it was ever published, but it was comparing IMRT uh, from Mayo Clinic versus uh, passive scattered protons from University of Florida, and albeit to a little bit higher dose. And what they found is basically the, the cancer control rates where it seemed to be a little bit better with the proton therapy. And that was probably due because they're treating with a little bit higher dose. But even with that, the prevalence of having serious GI side effects was lower with proton therapy relative to IMRT. Now that's not a direct head-to-head -head randomized trial, but the quality of that data, you know, having known the investigators involved and, and the rigor at which they collect data, both data sets were collected prospectively and then compared on the back end. So, I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, that's probably the best we have right now in terms of, of looking at, at, at that. But as we extend further, um, you know, now we're with other randomized data coming from other trials, we're understanding that for higher risk disease, 
it's important to maybe also treat the pelvic lymph nodes, especially in more advanced cases. And when you do that, you're obviously going to treat more bowel, more bladder. And in, in that same randomized trial, it basically showed that the, the toxicity rates were directly proportional to how much of the bladder and the bowel were being exposed. You know, in, in multiple head-to-head dosimetric comparisons that, you know, not only the published, but that we often have to do for comparison plans for insurance companies, uh, when you're using intensely modulated proton therapy, the dose of the bladder and the bowel is substantially less than uh, when you're using IMRT. And I, I don't think anyone argued that. And in my experience, the, the tolerability of IMPT for pelvic nodal radiation has been much better. And if we extend that, that's also the case based on um, relatively recently reported results from the RTOG in the post-op salvage setting. So in the patient who've had a prostatectomy and now their PSAs are rising, you know, if, if their PSA is above a certain level, I think in that study it was arbitrarily just kind of used 0.33, you probably should get not only your prostate better radiated, but also your pelvic lymph nodes and six months of hormone therapy. And that is really what you, what you should be doing. And so even in those post-op cases, when we're treating pelvic lymph nodes, uh, sparing as much of the bladder and bowel is important. Um, and then lastly, there's, you know, we're seeing it more and more now where in patients with oligometastatic disease, it's important to control the primary or at least treat the primary um, you could hypofractionate that, but also address the oligometastatic sites. And one of the best ways to do that, frankly, is with proton therapy, because oftentimes you're doing it in, you know, five fractions or less uh, in terms of the oligometastatic sites. Um, we're able to do it in a pretty straightforward fashion. There really isn't any cost differential for doing it with protons versus x-rays in that setting, because they're, they're both stereotactic. Um, and it also allows the ability to treat multiple sites uh, without exposing as much normal tissue, um, which is a lot harder to do when you're, when you're using an x-ray based modality. And so for, for all those reasons, I think proton therapy has a, a, a very important role in the treatment of prostate cancer at, at very different stages. What would you recommend to someone who's been newly diagnosed with prostate cancer? Yeah, so I think it's important to go to you know, multiple physicians, not too many. I mean, you can get insurance, over, you know, uh, information overload, but at least try and get a balanced discussion. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances. And this happens in academic centers as well as community-based centers where you're, the patient's treatment options will largely be dictated by the provider they see. So, you know, if, if, if they see one set of providers, you know, they're going to get recommended this and versus another set. And, you know, you want to try and have a balanced discussion. And, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can see multiple physicians. Um, a lot of the larger centers will have a multidisciplinary clinic where you can see kind of multiple specialties at once. But I think I would steer clear of, of people that are really very dogmatic about saying something like, well, no, you don't need, you know, the classically is you don't need proton therapy or, you know, proton therapy is experimental. You know, if you hear things like that, it's probably worth maybe getting another opinion. I would also say there are cases though, where, you know, there's not a lot of treatment options, either in very advanced cases, you know, there's, there's a lot of times there's a more, there's, there's a right answer and then less right answers, I would say. And, um, 
you know, unfortunately with the pandemic, diagnoses, screening, uh, even staging evaluations have kind of slowed down. And then on top of that, if, if, you, um, if you have patient indecision, extending that interval out further, um, there can be, you're probably gonna compromise outcomes. All right, and one last question for you, Dr. Lee. How many proton therapy centers do you think we will have 10 years from now? Back when I was at MD Anderson and, and I, was, I treated the first patient there, I guess that was May 4th, 2006. Um, if I had to project going forward, how many proton centers there'd be in the US total, I, I was expecting maybe 10. And like, we're way past that. Especially with the, the, the smaller compact centers, that puts the technology uh, more within reach of a lot of health systems. So at this point, um, you know, really the number is almost unlimited if, if you have the resources to do it. You know, most major metropolitan areas probably should have at least one proton room. In 10 years, I mean, I think the number could well exceed 50. You know, the other thing that's happening is a lot of the proton centers that now have been operational for over a decade. Um, they're also looking at either revamping or re expanding, you know, their existing centers. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of those are going to be done, you know, adjacent to where their existing physical plant are, is. And some are looking at, you know, reaching out to patients. And so if they're in a you know, metropolitan area, they may want to go more onto the periphery. So uh, into more of the suburban areas and things of that nature and kind of leverage the experience they had with, with a, um, a larger center. The short of it is, I don't think I'm the one to predict because I obviously my prediction was way off. And, you know, it's both uh, it's both good and bad. I mean, I think the good aspect of it is, is you know, the, the technology was really never meant to be sequestered and just limited to a few ivory towers. I mean, that is that is the reason why the bigger centers kind of did the research um, to kind of work all that stuff out until the, the technology and the processes were more mature and that it could be disseminated to, into a wider fashion. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lee. It was wonderful talking to you and it's been great hearing you share your expertise. So we appreciate your time. My pleasure, Courtney. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you're not already doing so, please subscribe and follow Campus Pep Talk on our campus website, campus-iba.com, or on your favorite streaming platform, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, or Facebook Podcasts. See you on our next episode.